like not football. We have one Canadian team, the Argos, right? It's just the one. No, right? Jess. There's a whole team. There's provincial a Canadian team of, of football. They're provincial. So who do they play against? If there's only one. I don't know. Fuck. I thought we just had the single one. Hey ladies, and welcome back to Herspective. Feels like a minute since we've connected. <laughs> you always say that. <laughs> I know. But it just feels like a minute since we've recorded. We connect all the time. <laughs> true. That's correct. You corrected my comment. I don't know. But sometimes we it did feels our... like we're all the time. Like it feels like it's back to back and sometimes it feels like it's been months. Yeah, we did a lot of pre-recording. We were super organized. Yeah, for then. like the first time <laughs> in three years. Yeah. But like that then and like never again. Yeah. And that <laughs> never before and never after. <laughs> it's been a one time thing that we were very we were... organized. <laughs> <laughs> there is this one time we got organized. That's all. <laughs> the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here we are back on the mics. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like there's like quite a few big news stories that we have to touch on. I want first. to just dive right in. Yeah, yeah. like first things first. First Brittany things is free. first. Like, Brittany is free. Free Brittany. I read it like three times because I was like, no fucking way. And I knew we were like heading in that direction, but I did not. I don't know. I I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it was actually over. The I'm so happy for her, and I really I hope that she just goes bananas, like just lives her best life. And yeah, what do you think it's gonna be like? I think they're going to get married know. pretty quickly, and I think have they're going to have a baby if she's not already pregnant. Um, I think that she's going to sue the shit out of her family. Like, she flat out mom, called Mom, dad, and mom. sister. Yeah. Yeah. yeah all of them. I'm just glad. I'm just glad that all the truths seem to be coming out. Like, people can't hide what they did anymore. They can't hide behind the conservatorship and control the narratives, and she just has to sit there and take it. Like... Britney Spears aside, like, it's just a human issue, like, at this point. Like, it's just, like, as a, a human, a female, you yeah. need to pay your dues now. You ruin someone's life. Your own daughter's sister, like, you ruined her life for almost 15 years. That is an insane yeah. amount of time. That is an insane amount of time. Almost a, well, Think back pretty to... much a quarter of her life. Yeah, I think, yeah, if you think back her. to 15 years ago from us, like, remember where we were and, like, where we are now in your life? I, like, it's insane to think yeah. that that would have been, it's a prison sentence is what she it got, is. Seriously, her human rights taken away. Like, she wanted to have a child yeah. and she couldn't have a child. Like, that's terrible. Yeah. Well, she had so. to, she was forced to work and, like, you know, it, like I say, it was a prison sentence without a crime happening. Like, exactly. And I know that this happens all the time. But this was in like plain, like under everyone's well, it was publicized in front of everyone hugely. Yeah, because it's Britney yeah. Spears. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it shouldn't happen to anybody at all. Not just celebrities, no. but it sh- but it did happen to somebody. Like you said, it's a great analogy. Is like it's a prison sentence without there being a crime, and you know people got so rich and just got like 
yeah. their lives yeah. made but hopefully that all comes crashing down and she it will have to gets everything back i do think there will be a movie how could there not be a movie about this i think like, there'll be several like yeah uh, maybe a maybe know, a netflix like series and, i feel like netflix yeah. is gonna be all over that where they'll do like there's a lots... short series or whatever they're called yeah a, a limited or mini series there's so yeah. much to explore here with it like like you know her origin story and then how this even fucking happened and then you know like the the back i just think there's so many ways to take this so that's why i think that there'll be a lot of there can be several different movies about it and then adaptations like this is a huge insane story totally people yeah. will want to make money from more money than and hopefully she have. does though because she's gonna have to sign yeah. off on all of it so hopefully she is in the director's chair so to speak figuratively and uh literally because yeah. I would hope that she gets to at least, like, guide the movie about her own life where she just, like, it's pretty fresh. Like, maybe it's too soon, but I think it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know how long you wait for these things. Yeah. But I think just, I mean, honestly, go, girl. Like, free Britney. Britney is free. And I just hope that she gets to do all the things that she's been wanting to do for over a decade and living the life that she's wanted to live for over a decade. And I hope that she like gets to have a real relationship with her children, like her two boys. Cause that's the one thing I feel like I never heard anything about. And I'm sure there's reasons like lots of legality around that, but I hope that they get to know the truth too, like that they are like, oh my God, my mom was not actually crazy and it was my grandfather. She did want to see me. Yeah. Because I think that they made Kevin Federline have custody, right? Wasn't that it? So then clearly that means she's not seeing them. Yeah. And he was probably paid quite handsomely to maybe like keep pushing the narrative like, well, your mom's a nutcase and like you know exactly. yeah she loves so you think... but she can't take care of you she's not capable which is actually also like a whole sidearm of this whole story is like there could be a movie about like the side effects of the kids like psychologically mentally like that must that probably damaged them in some way thinking and then come uh, to oh, the, then sure. come to the realization that like oh all of these people including my father have lied to us our whole life and I, and What's like at least like justice and and relieving is the fact that they will they're old enough now to understand and know at least now they know. But uh, like you said, this was going on during their formative years. So like, what are the side effects? Because clearly, just telling them now what happened, I don't think can go back and like change how you were formed. You know what I mean? So I I don't know. Obviously, I feel bad for them. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure Brittany will be spending the rest of her life like working with them and working um, towards getting healthy, all all three of them. And then, of course, her new husband to be and whatever. Right. So I hope and uh, I just we wish her the best and we're just so happy. And I'm just we're still probably sad and outraged that this even fucking happened to her. But I mean, the craziest part about it is I don't think this conservatorship would have ended had the fans not really started this For revolution. Sure. Like that is the sure. power of fandom, celebrity, social media, <laughs> like, like just yeah. being people, one person starts being like, yeah, you know, this is not cool. Free Britney. Let's make a hashtag. Oh yeah. Everyone jumps on it. Okay. Now you've got other celebrity friends of hers involved. Now you've like, it just grew and grew and grew and grew to the point that, uh, obviously very like well-known successful lawyer wanted to take on the case and want 
because you know I'm they obviously had good intentions but they still have their name tied to Britney Spears with such success like that's gonna set them up for a whole other like level of I don't know like whatever cases they could get on you know what I mean so that's built (laughs) their reputation (laughs) exactly so but it's just the power of social media yet again somehow amazes me like I know how powerful it is but like to move like this to be able to (laughs) change someone's like a huge celebrity who you would think at the drop of a hat could make whatever go away or come or like they money buys pretty much everything unless you're in a conservatorship apparently and because she didn't have her money that yeah that's right but that's the crazy part well and so you're right it feels weird like oh this can't happen to people who are rich because literally money can like buy everything but i don't know i think what we're like really noticing and seeing from this is not only was she injustice, but not only was were these terrible things happening to her, but she was clearly brainwashed because she was lying about it. So I think that's what where the social media really came in and hearing people's mm-hmm. concern and people being like, oh, my God, Brittany, what the fuck is going on? And she was that helped her have the confidence to stop lying and just be like, actually, yes, something's crazy because that is where I think that was the catalyst, her admitting her seeing the support and then having the ability to admit it instead of continuing just to go along with it. Yeah. I think she probably like obviously having the lawyers join her team too, where she probably got the opportunity to finally like know her rights. Cause I mean, just the little things that we heard about how she was like sneaking into public bathrooms just to make a lawyer's call, like all of the stuff. Like that's why I think it's going to be quite a crazy movie if, and when they make it. But um, yeah, like having people kind of call out like, this is not right. What's happening to you. We know that this is not true. And God knows what kind of threats her family or like that controlled her used and clearly it was probably the kids because we do know that they said like well do this or you don't get to see your kids so finally something broke the spell she kind of came into clarity and at the end of the day comes out on top so yeah so awesome and um just ready with my popcorn to see how uh (laughs) all this continues to unfold i'm kind of glad that any like Oh my god, I don't even want to knock on wood, but like any future Britney updates will just be positive ones, and it's it's like relieving for me that it's over. You know what I mean? <laughs> like because yeah, I personally feel happy that this is over because oh my god, like obviously it's like I don't know, you know, it's like a weird fucking thing. It's like how is this still going on? So now that it's over, it's. Just exciting that it's only it going to be good things from here. It for is. Her. It is. It's a sense of relief because you do feel, feel why like do I that feel so somebody that justice has been served, so to speak, like yeah. in a way, right? Yeah. Like there's a lot more to yeah. come, hopefully. But yeah, you do feel like oh, things can actually change. Things can actually get better, and it's a sense of hope. In yeah, you know, even though she is a huge celebrity, but it's still like wow, if enough people well, this care, her down things to earth. can change. This brought her down to earth. This brought her to be far more relatable because, like we said, money usually can buy you anything as a celebrity. And she obviously was unable to uh, tap into that resource. So, yeah. That's true. It does make make her more relatable. And on another note, a a very unrelatable person (laughs) 
because we said we would keep following this um, Elon Musk story of how he basically said if they could prove and they being like the world um, organization or something. <laughs> I don't know. This is terrible. Now I we said it in the first time. Yeah, we, we said it the first it. time. Y'all know what we I'm are credible, <laughs> but it's like. He has so much money that allegedly he could end world hunger, but there hasn't been really much since that statement. Like he, Elon Musk being he, said, yeah, prove how I could do it. Like break it down so it's like trackable accounting. And then obviously that didn't actually happen. And then there was sort of like that rebuttal of like, well, $6 billion wouldn't actually end world hunger, but there's, it's more about like sustainability and like where that money could be spent to help these countries be able to like sustain themselves. But the thing on this, like, and that's why, like, I know we talked about it and we were like, well, this is kind of, it'll be disgusting if this was just a publicity stunt, which I kind of do feel like it was a little bit. Like he knew he could just go say that and he could back it up if he wanted to. I mean, technically, if he did actually get called out, like, okay, so do it. Um, he could. He wouldn't but, really notice. Yeah, <laughs> he was like, missing six. Sure, billion. whatever. Here's like my fifty cents. Yeah. Like that's what it is yeah. to me. But yeah, because he's the richest man in the world. Um, I think it's three hundred billion he's worth. But uh, I saw. yeah, yeah, I knew it was around so there. So that's just an extra ten billion. <laughs> like no biggie, yeah. no bags. <laughs> um, but yeah, it does feel like a little bit of a publicity stunt, which I find pretty like unfortunate and just like gross like i just feel like ew like ew but well we're you know, saying like we we're saying it's a publicity stunt because he said he could do this nothing has come from it but why would you say that it's this it's like the sickest thing to say like oh yeah i could but only if you guys you know spell it out it. for me yeah and then like, i'll do it, it but if, so if you have the ability and you think that because why else would you what, and why you've announced you it that? to the world you announced yeah, it on so, a world stage being twitter and then and if you actually think that, then why are you not working with them or trying to or even yeah. just giving it to do, you know, go to word something like I'm not saying he ha just has to give his money away to people. But if you think that there's a way that this could be done, why are you just like saying it and then taking it back, kind of taking it away? Why are you not yeah, doing it's, that? It's or sort of like an it? empty threat, but not a threat, because now it's like it's an not a joke. Promise. It's not like a funny thing. It's not like ah, I could end world hunger like that. People are literally dying from hunger like it's it's yes, not funny it's, it's, it's a serious that you would thing. like dangle that carrot yeah no and then reason. be like yeah <laughs> but you couldn't really like show me well, how you didn't to tell be me done. how so. so oh well haha <laughs> too bad like you had your chance it's gross yeah, and it's very it really made me lose a little bit of respect for him i mean he's an incredibly intelligent person great business person obviously but yeah it's rude and it's weird and it's like you it's you could weird. never even like fathom what hunger, starvation, famine is like because you sit in your ivory tower, right? And you can't spend the amount of money. That's why he keeps giving it away or like selling it off because he cannot spend it in his if he had 10 lifetimes. And so oh, it, God, unless he no. literally like builds a planet and lives on it or something, I don't know, might as well. But it's just like these are people that you're talking about real people really truly suffering from starvation children 
like and and it's not really because of availability of food most of these countries can produce their own food it's because most of these all of the countries that fall into this like famine category are war-torn so it's accessibility like it's purposely kept from them and then obviously there's climate like drought and stuff too but um it's not so much that they can't like feed themselves it's that that's used in war it's a like it's terrible so yeah elon musk do better like just a thought like yeah if you're gonna say something like that follow it up with an actual action not just like kind of a dickish response and like i don't know if anybody saw his tweet response to um bernie saunders which it wasn't directed to elon musk bernie basically tweeted out we absolutely must make the rich pay their fair share and then elon's response was oh i forgot that you were alive still oh my god so it's just like okay now you're just an asshole like you're just a shitty rich guy like i don't care what you've invented something other than that before I did feel that he was more charitable and just like, I felt like he was sort of different from a lot of the other elites, I guess. I don't know. I don't know why I thought <laughs> that. I just had this like feeling that maybe he didn't fall in the, under the same category and actually wanted to be different. But like after these last couple stunts, I'm just like, no, you're not. You're almost worse. Like at least Bezos isn't even commenting because he's probably like got his tail between his legs being like, shit. I don't want to give up my money. No, he's um, like, fucking Elon, stop doing that to us. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. He's like, no, we want our hundreds of yeah. billions. I need it all. I need every penny. I can't spare <sighs> it's one. It's just so weird. Like, I get the idea of wanting to accumulate wealth, obviously. I just, like, they know, it, it's common knowledge that they can't spend that money, right? Like, why, when you get to a certain level, I'm sure there is a number that we can say is the cap of what you'd be able to spend in a lifetime, right? Or even in your kids, kids, kids' lifetime. Like, isn't the, I'm sure there's a way to like, you know, make a formula and <laughs> figure this out. So it's like, what do you want? What more do you want? Like, you can't even get to it. Why do you want it? <laughs> right? Yeah, is it totally. just greed? <laughs> I I don't know. I maybe it becomes like it's an weird. obsession. Like, how much can I build? I wish we could have one of these people on the show to be like, explain ask, like, are you your so mentality. Or are you just like, I get ambition and I get not stopping, but it's like, okay, when you're into the hundreds of billions, what do you, like, what, what do you want now? Like, what is, is it even fun anymore? How could it be fun anymore? Like what? I don't get it. I feel like there should be a form of obligation that comes with that kind of wealth. Like when, like you said, when you're in the hundreds of billions, there should be sort of this like cap where it's like, okay, over this amount, you kind of just have to give it back or something. Yeah. Like, give or it you to have a country to who's it. that much in debt. Yeah, you have to like <laughs> Which is use most. that money to stop war. But this is the problem with money. It just like more money, more problems. I think Diddy said it best. Oh. <laughs> or Biggie. Oh, Biggie said it best, not Diddy. Oh my God. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> yes, I think, um, okay, rant over on Elon bad yeah. form man yeah. bad form yeah. and yeah. you know i feel like you owe the world of an apology <laughs> you owe hungry people some food yeah you owe you yeah just bad form all around um 
Speaking of bad form, I do have to have a quick rant about our Canadian government. Um, no surprise there. Also mm-hmm. bad form everywhere. Very bad. Uh, I, I am traveling with my family to Florida. Um, very excited. Going just to have some R&R in the sunshine now that the weather is shite here. Um, yeah. Only that'll come back to even worse weather. But anyway, yeah. have an opportunity <laughs> to go. Excited. Like, I just want to first off say, like, the fact that I can take my family on vacation is a privilege that is not lost on me. I, you know, I'm not here to like, you know, argue that or anything like that. You don't have to my, justify your family's vacation. You work very hard. You know hard, what though? Worry. This is the world we're living in and I kind of feel like I do. And I don't know if other people feel the same. Like if you do anything, like you just feel like you owe an explanation. But my It's because we just called Elon out. So it's yeah, like, well, I yeah, want to go on exactly. a vacation to Florida. <laughs> I can take my... And I need to understand. I need you to understand this. Yeah, <laughs> you're hilarious. I'm pretty much in the same boat as you. Don't worry. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> We're not drawing any weird connections. You're gonna. <laughs> we run in the same circle. It's fine. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Thanks for your accountability, unlike Elon, but thank you for that. You're welcome. You're I, am a, I am a level up from him in my respect to the people. No. Yeah. Um, so, yes, Florida aside, the issue is coming back. As a Canadian, as a taxpayer, this is where my issue lies, is that my children, who are under the age of 12, as everybody that listens to the show would know, um, they are not eligible to be vaccinated. Even if I wanted to vaccinate them, I'm not even going to get into that, my position on yeah. that. But the point is, if I wanted to, I can't. Being vaccinated is not mandatory to attend public school. And my children are not allowed to attend their public school upon our arrival, despite the fact that they have to go through the exact same testing as myself and my husband, as any adult, any vaccinated adult has to do. They are not allowed to attend for 14 days. And there is no plan in place for, and this is, take this also as like some information, as a warning, if you are planning a vacation with younger children um, outside of the country, because this is what you will face. There is no plan in place to help them with their school. So yes, I'm voluntary, voluntarily taking my children out of school for a week for this vacation with the expectation originally that they would go back um, the following Monday. Nope, that is not the case. They have to, they are not permitted to attend the school for 14 days and there is they cannot join the virtual classrooms either so yes i've spoken to teachers they're willing to provide the two weeks worth of work but who is going to teach them for those two weeks i work my husband works um i'm not a teacher so i'm now on the hunt for a tutor for these two weeks for two children so for a one-week vacation, I, at this point, don't know what the cost is, um, like the full cost of what it means in terms of finances and consequences, because my children now, like I have to put them through some kind of school. I need to get a tutor or something, like, so they can continue their learning and not fall behind, uh, which is crazy to me because it's like I pay taxes for my kids to go to school. Um, and you're just telling me they can't, but not for really any good reason. They have to take a negative test to get back in the country as I do. They do not have to quarantine or isolate. They are just not permitted to attend public school 
any large sporting events or old age homes where people may be more at risk, um, despite showing negative results, just like me. I, on the other hand, have none of these restrictions. My kids can still go to the grocery store. They can still go to the park. They can still go to the mall. Um, so it's just like to me and y'all, anybody that disagrees, I don't care. You can come at me and we can have a, you know, reasonable discussion if you want. But my opinion is that this is coercion because they are, they being the government is like prepping us as Canadian citizens to like get our young children vaccinated as soon as possible, as soon as they are eligible because they will take away these luxuries or freedoms. Um, well, they did that and, to the adults, so. Exactly. But it's just, again, it's this should be about choice. It is not, really. If you want to do anything, like make memories with your family in this way, you can't. Um, unless you're, if you're fine with the three weeks of school missing, then like, you know, that's, again, to each his own. Everyone do you. But I just think if this is going to be a policy, there should be some kind of, option for parents or at the very least the children should be allowed to join uh, virtual classrooms for that time Um, because if this is really about health we're not considering the health and well-being of my children when I told them about this because I'm honest and transparent with my kids um, they were extremely upset like they both cried they kind of almost said they didn't want to go on the trip because that's how much going to school means to them. They're very social. They love their friends. They love their class. They love their teachers. Um, and it's being taken away. Yes, two weeks in the grand scheme is not a lot. But the point is, like, to a child, it is. And if you, as a government, you're preaching all about health and safety, if realistically, my kids will have just been tested. And it will be a negative result. Knock on wood, obviously. They're actually more in my opinion, if this is why we're doing this, safer to enter a school than anybody else. Because at any given time, any and all the rest <laughs> it could have COVID-19 and not know because maybe they're asymptomatic or it's being just figured, oh, they just have a cold. But they're not being tested regularly. No one at school is. So make it make sense. That's all I'm saying. I am trying to escalate this. I want real answers. I really believe that that policy needs to be adapted um, to be more like functional and realistic and, and better for the children involved. Um, you know, whether parents can or cannot take their kids on vacation, that shouldn't be an issue whatsoever. It should be about like, okay, so now they come back to the country, they're allowed back into our country where we are Canadian citizens of with this testing, but they're not allowed to attend their school. It's disgusting. Yeah. I mean, obviously we have feelings about like all, a lot of things that have to do with policy um, and COVID and the vaccines mm-hmm. and everything. And this is just yet another piece that makes no fucking sense. And here we are. So exactly. I mean, I'm sorry for you. I know I'm actually like thinking like I'm kind of jealous about Florida, but still I'm sorry that you're <laughs> dealing with this. Not to, to take away from your horrible issue that you're dealing with, but um yeah, I really, I, I, I wish I could say I hope it gets resolved, but like, no, this is what's happening. Yeah, so. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's just kind of to me a sign of what is to come, what's more to come. So, well, I, it's, it's amazing yeah. that we still have the government, anyways. Not, not like that's for a whole other episode, but like, yeah. yeah. 
yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, if anybody has any thoughts, opinions, knowledge, more information, like, that's a really, like, you know, surface level, uh, like, response to my situation, obviously. Like, I'm not going into huge detail, but that is the Cole's notes. That is basically what is going to happen, and I have no power i cannot access my government to like express my concerns sure can i post it can i like talk about it yes but it's it's kind of crazy that that is the case too that we cannot really like yeah i can write a letter to my mpps like i know all of these things but let's be real like it's purposely designed this way so you can't you know really do anything unless you want to riot in the streets which they're not going to be phoning you up with a response anytime exactly exactly (laughs) so so Again, I just put it out there. If anybody like has information, chats, knows of loopholes, please let me know. Because I'm at the point where I'm like, what are they going to do if I just send them anyway with a negative test? Call the cops? Will they call the well, ministry? I don't do? know. I don't know. I'm yeah. borderline ready to test it out. Maybe. So. Yeah, maybe you lead the way for everyone wondering. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Great. And then I end up in jail or a COVID yeah. camp. <laughs> no, yeah. You're just another uh, like anti-COVID person. Yeah, exactly. Um, but this is just an, an injustice. And unfortunately, injustice is kind of like a theme for today's episode as well. Very much so. If you guys haven't picked up on that, we do have <laughs> We didn't even guess. plan that. <laughs> no, like look at us go. We're just like on that organized. organized. Yeah, organized. <laughs> organization tip right now like let us have the minute um but we do have a fantastic guest who did experience injustice and um her name is erin wilson and currently she's a phd candidate at the university of toronto and she is studying abuse in sport and its prevention she is a former athlete and was part of the 2012 canadian olympic team uh for synchronized swimming and which is now known as artistic swimming. I was going to say, I don't know if we can call it by its old name. <laughs> yes, formerly known. Um, <laughs> but we wanted to talk to Erin because, first of all, she has actual experience um, in abuse as an athlete and obviously a female athlete. And not just physical, but emotional. And um, she talks to us about, like, the effects and, like, how this is still going on. This is a very regular part of professional sports. And it, I mean, and, it, it's accepted, right? Like that's kind of what yeah. we get into in the show. Oh yeah. It's accepted, almost encouraged, like in terms of the coaching styles and things mm-hmm. like that. But what really stood out to me as well was the fact that it's not like the typical, like, when I think of um, abuse in sport, my mind goes to, you know, sexual abuse, things like that. So it's other types of abuse that we can't continue just to look over because it's not something like sexual abuse or physical abuse. Well, unfortunately, it's not criminal. It should be um, because it is abuse. And but it is something that's looked over or, you know, again, like I said, coaching styles or or are, you know, the lines on that are a little blurry. So it's something that I think definitely needs to have a lot more awareness. Um, people, the layman, I always call us the layman, but like, I don't, I don't know a better way to say <laughs> well, it. Well, like, we are. Obviously, well, exactly. <laughs> like, we're not in sports. So, like, we should know that these types of things happen, you know, for our kids and things like that. So, it's 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 not something that needs to just be known in, like, the sport community is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> the layman's need to be let in on this for prevention and and uh, hopefully like 
I don't know. We can find. I'm always trying to like find the way to solve the world's issues. I don't. There's just again so many injustices and it upsets me. But yeah, Erin's nice enough to come and tell her story about it, and hopefully that can you know help us help our listeners as well. Yeah, like she is very much an advocate for athletes. Um, she's on the board of uh, Athlete Can, which represents the voice of national team athletes in Canada. Um, she's been involved in several decision-making processes, including the formation of a universal code of conduct and a national independent um, mechanism being implemented for Canadian athletes for abuse reporting and prevention. So she's she's making some waves in the area of abuse in, within professional sports. Um, but yeah, she really talks to us more about the emotional abuse that she experienced because it's almost worse. Yes, it is. That's the whole thing. With that being said, I definitely think it's time that we welcome Erin to the show. Welcome, Erin. Welcome, Erin. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yay, yes, it's very exciting and we super appreciate you being here. So why don't we start off with you giving uh, our listeners a little bit of a background about you. Sure thing. Uh, So my journey so far, I was an athlete. I was a synchronized swimmer, which is now called artistic swimming. Um, I was on Team Canada for about seven years, um, and I was part of the 2012 Olympic team for artistic swimming. Um, From there, I uh, switched into academics, and I did my undergrad, um, my master's, and now a PhD in kinesiology. Um, And I specifically focused my research on my graduate school in um, abuse and sport and trying to create a safer environment for sport in Canada. Amazing. And I mean, that is exactly what we wanted to talk to you about today. And um, yeah, like we were kind of chatting before we started the show, uh, you know, it's not the most easy or pleasant topic, but such an important one. And, you know, we really want to hear from somebody who has lived it, experienced it, learning about it and, you know, studying it. And I think it's really important because, there's so many things that go on in these professional sports and, and we're learning through a lot of the guests that we have on um, here and there, um, you know, things that are just so not wildly known and don't seem like they're public information. And I guess it's probably because like it's not a side of these industries it's or these ugly. sports that, yeah, it's the ugly side of it. And um, but it, it's, you know, it's causing problems and it's damaging people like other humans so it's something that needs to be discussed and needs to be more exposure to because we need to find a way to stop it and um so that's what yeah we want to get your perspective and and you to just kind of give us you know a rundown on what is going on and why is this happening and what are the kinds of abuses that um are being experienced Mm -hmm, for sure um yeah definitely not an easy topic but but we're going to give it a go today. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think you're right. Like, I think the the unfortunate thing is that none of this is new. It's just now coming to the forefront. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with some of the, um, the Me Too movement, I think was obviously part of that. But then this understanding that sexual abuse does happen in sport. And I think it's not a new subject, but with, because um, there have been cases, you know, even 10, 20, 30 years ago, there's NHL players that are very well publicized that they've experienced a lot of sexual abuse and um, it's really sad. And then obviously with the Larry Nassar, um, and gymnastics capes where, um, for anyone who doesn't know, it was 250 gymnasts came forward with experiencing sexual abuse from their, 
um, team physician. Um, oh my god, just, it's got full body goosebumps. Yeah, yeah and, and it was just him, right? Just, just like that. Those are he was the victims just doing of it to Larry everyone. Nassar. Yeah, yeah. So, and it was over like a fifteen or twenty year period, and um, there's a really great documentary called Athlete A that kind of walks through everything mm-hmm. and just how uh, it was so common and so so widely known, but no one did anything. Like it was, we, we have the saying it that it's, it takes, yeah, it takes a village to, um, like it takes a village to create an athlete, but it also takes a village to destroy one as well. And it's kind of that same concept of there were so many people that knew and tried to sweep it under the rug and, and hide it. Um, and I think that's just, that happens with that case, but it happens pretty much with every case. It's not, it's not just one person. There's a lot of people that know about it that, um, that experience it. Um, but kind of going back to your initial topic of what kinds of abuse, so sexual abuse, I think is the most widely known and accepted. Um, but we, in my lab, we study all types of abuse. We study emotional abuse, um, physical abuse, neglect, and sexual harm. Um, and we actually did a study recently with national team athletes in Canada, and we found that emotional abuse was by far the most experienced between emotional abuse and neglect. Uh, Those who are, are, I think it was about 68% of athletes experience emotional abuse on the national team. So, I mean, that's crazy. (laughs) And is is emotional abuse like I picture emotional abuse, um, like coaches being and are we talking about coaches specifically being the abusers or like are we talking about doctors like um, I don't even like saying his name, but the gymnast one. And you know what I mean? So like are we talking about people like that in the position of power or is it like amongst peers or or what? Yeah. So it's everything. Um. When we, when we ask athletes, we did ask them specifically, like, okay, these are the types of abuse you experience. And when we talk about emotional abuse, it's everything from yelling, screaming, belittling, um, attacking them as a person rather than, you know, their, their skills, like, actually, like, physical right. uh, or physical or, like, emotional attributes about a, a person themselves. Um, and it's often, like, a pattern of behaviors. It's not just being yelled at one time. It's, like, everyday constant, like, putting you down, um, making right. you feel bad about yourself, comments about the weight and the body and, like, all of those things, too. So there's... There's a lot more than what you kind of just see as like, you know, coaches yelling at their athletes. Um, but right. it does come from coaches. It comes from peers was the second highest. Um, it can be like high performance directors, trainers. Um, it's pretty much anyone in a position of power or even just a peer in. I, I still think there's like power relationships between peers. but Like the captain <laughs> of the team sure. or something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And why do you think this is like happening? Like, when does it start? Is this like a technique that coaches or those in power think like this is the way to condition our athletes? This is the way to motivate them? Or is it because, you know, an athlete maybe isn't performing to the standard that a coach or whoever else, like a teammate, um, deems like where they should be? So then, instead of like supportiveness and like trying to understand like, Hey, is everything okay? What's going on? Like notice, you know, your skill level is like declining or whatever the case may be. I'm clearly not a professional athlete, so I don't even <laughs> have proper terminology, but like, why isn't it a supportive environment versus like, okay, well now we're going to like ridicule, ridicule you, criticize you, like tear you down with the expectation that that's going to make you better. It seems like mm. that's like an old school like mentality, right? Like back in the day, yeah. that's how they treated children and, and kids. And like, it just seems like colder back then. And it's kind of like still carried on. Is is that kind of what's going on? 
Yeah, for sure. I think you guys have great insight already. Um, I think for me, there's kind maybe of three main... athletics. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe we've just been abused to know <laughs> what it feels like. That took a darker turn. Thanks, Laura. <laughs> and I'm not making like... No, no, abused, no, no, but... of course not. But we got I think I we can relate to that side of it, right? Like you can relate to being criticized at one time by having somebody talk down to you or or be kind of like flat out mean or bullying. We've I think most people have experienced some form of that. So you understand like the feelings that come from it. Yeah, for sure. And just kind of as a side, like my one of my um my cousin's wife is a HR person and the, the stories that I've told her about my athletic career, she's like, if this wasn't a business profession, like that person would be fired. Like you, you know yeah. that, right? And you're like, okay, but at the same time, like I was 19 and no one was firing my coach, even though it all, everyone knew was happening. But it's like, it's interesting hearing from an HR perspective of like, no, those things would not fly it's in like the real world. Not allowed. Well, it's crazy yeah. because sports has like a protection around it for some reason. Because even imagine like a, a coach was saying things to like their young student, um, like a teacher would never do that, or like anyone any other adult would like wouldn't speak to people like that but for some reason a coach like gets the pass like even if they did that in front of their parents for some reason like you see that in movies and stuff how coaches yell and they grab like the the high school boys and like buy their helmets on the football field and they're like what the fuck is this so but if any other teacher said that to them they'd be like what the hell you're fired right well, in that situation, like if a parent was aware or another adult um, or, you know, like another guardian type figure was aware, they would you would hope that they would step in and be like, uh, no, this is not acceptable. Like, why are you talking to my child like that or a child? But yeah, like that is very a very good point is that there is this weird protection around anybody that falls under that professional sports umbrella. Sports specifically. So that kind of goes. Yeah, that kind of goes back to my question is like, why does this happen? Why is it allowed to happen? And is it like a gradual transition from trying the supportive way and then not getting the results they want? So then they start being nasty or is it just like zero to 100? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tell us, Erin. So in my, my, we've kind of already touched on some of the things, but in my experience, there's kind of three main things that all integrate to, to cause this problem. One is that coaching hasn't evolved in the way that other learnings have. And I can get into that more. But then the second is that it's just so normalized within sport. Um, and then the third is just this win at all cost mentality. Um, so for, right. for yeah. as we said, like we kind of already touched on this, but like teaching used to be like that too. Child, every child development was this like break them down um, to build them up. There's like tough punishment. Like we used to, you know, hitting people used to be okay at school. Yeah. Like, all, and like hitting yeah, like our parents. Be, yeah. Like not that long ago. Um, but every other every other institution has evolved to understand that like the best way to um, elicit success is to, through support, support, through motivating, through self-directed learning. Like there's a reason that Montessori t- style learning is really big right now. And it's all about the child leading themselves and you encouraging them. And like this has really been mm-hmm. an evolution in everything. But in sport... For some reason, they're that they, they haven't gotten the memo yet. <laughs> like, there's no one's gotten that memo. <laughs> But um, I like that what you said about that win at all cost mentality because I guess I guess that's where like I my brother was a hockey player and my dad would be, always be like if he was upset about something like take it out on the ice so like it's like you're saving I don't know like the, all that emotion aggression. aggression for sport when 
And and then, of course, there's going to be abuses and, and craziness going on, right? When everyone's, like, funneling all of that energy and craziness into the sport, like, right? Yeah, for sure. And, like, the whole part of sport is to win. And I think that's, like, that's where it gets difficult is because the whole point, like, unfortunately, and I, I think that there are a lot more benefits to sport than that. Um, but at the end of the day, like, the people that win get the most attention. They get the most money. Like, our whole funding system yeah. in sport is set up for those people who succeed the most. Um, like, those are the to people be the that best. get funded. Yeah. And, like, yeah. Olympic medals are, like, all, like an actual currency in the sport world. And so then it becomes, it's not just about winning the medal, but doing everything that you possibly can to get that medal. And what happens is often the, the, the lines are blurred between doing everything you can within your, within your bounds and within like a healthy way to just let's throw everything else out the window. And all we care about is that you get that gold medal. It doesn't matter if you're broken. It doesn't matter if you have, like, if you're training on injuries, if you're like, you know, like have broken bones, like, your job mentally distressed yeah so wow. that's another huge one and then the third part and it kind of ties into everything is it's just so normal within sport and I think this is why it often doesn't get talked about a lot is because when you're in it you're in it and you see everyone else experiencing the same things and doing the same things and you're not really questioning it because that's just the way sport is it's the way the sport's always been at like you as you said when you look at the movies and things like that. Like it is the grabbing people by the helmets and screaming at them and making them run laps until they throw up. Like all of these things are just like so yeah. ingrained to like be sport that you don't like, you just, you don't question it. <laughs> yeah. Cause imagine if a teacher did that, like a science teacher was like, go run laps till you throw up. They'd be like, what? <laughs> like it would be so weird and obviously not acceptable. <laughs> yeah. And then like bringing in like the masculinity part too, like it's all about being a man and being tough and sports Mm -hmm. has so much to do with that too, where it's like being a man is being tough and being strong and, and, you know, like all of those things. And so sometimes that becomes more acceptable in sport because it's teaching you how to be a man. Whereas in, in school, like the science teacher can't really teach that, but then that same parent will like throw their kid in football and be like, you need to toughen up. So But I even I do remember like in high school, you know, I played sports in high school at my friends, you know, on football teams, like some of the the guys I know were on the football team. There was actually that element of like kind of, you know, from my experience, I would say it was more of tough love. Like I truly didn't feel um, abused by any of my coaches. But I do remember seeing and hearing like some of the, you know, comments and discussions and you know, just flat out yelling um, during football practice because I would practice field hockey at the same time. So, I mean, like when you think about it and actually like look back, yeah, like it was definitely there because like the high school, actually Jess and I both went to, like it was a sports school. You went there for the most part, especially if you were an athlete and you wanted to kind of further your, um, well, potential career in athletics. So, um, the expectation was to be the best and not only do teacher or coaches and stuff get a pass, but again, going back to even just like high school level sports, the athletes got passes oh, yeah. in, so to speak, like they, when no one's supposed to be walking the halls, you're all supposed to be in class, but then, you know, someone on whatever team is doing something they're not supposed to do. That's okay. They kind of got this like free pass. So it's kind of crazy because high school 
like these are professional athletes. No one's getting paid. Like there's not. You're only really saying that because we're Canadians. Look at the American high school footballs. Like the, these cities and towns are. That's all they care about is their high school football teams, which to me is crazy because first of all, we're Canadian and. We don't care that much. And secondly, they're in high school. They're children. Like, why is the whole town, like, giving a shit, right? Well, because it's prospective, right? Like, they're giving a shit because they're like, all of these guys could potentially go pro. And then that means something for our town because they came from here. I don't think it's just an American mentality. I do think that exists in Canada for specific sports, like hockey, hockey. for sure. Like, not football. We have one... A Canadian team, the Argos, right? It's just the one, no, right? No, Jess. There's a whole team. There's provincial a Canadian team. Of, of football? They're provincial. So who do they play against <laughs> if there's only one? I'm just remembering another one, the Hamilton Ticats. Is that one? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. Fuck, I thought we just had the single one. Like, we have one Canadian basketball team. Yeah. Right? Right. And baseball team. Yeah. But they play yeah. in a North American league, whereas the CFL fair. is specific to Canada. Okay, so, so that's fair. That aside, we digress. <laughs> we digress. I love this. Learning a lot. Yeah. <laughs> now, you, now you know we have more than one. Shows what I know about football. It's okay, you know the most important one. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, Aaron. Like, how come? Like, okay. So actually, just backing up a bit. So how come it's accepted? Like, you kind of touched on that, but I feel like there's a difference between that sort of mental and physical abuse to like that serves as well. It's supposed to serve, I guess, as some sort of motivation. But then there's sexual abuse. Like, how does that? win at all cost mentality play in there you're being sexually abused that's not going to make you win there's nothing that's performative in that experience yeah um so there's kind of two different parts and they actually do um link more than you think but one of the reasons it's so accepted Mm -hmm. is just because it is that mentality of like this is how you build up athletes is to break them down and i think that's a huge part of it um i think again like the terms abuse, like, don't really get used often. Like, as an athlete, like, I knew what was happening wasn't okay, but it wasn't until I, like, was educated in in the topic that I was like, oh, there's a word for these things that I experience, and it's abuse. Um, And so I think it's, like, things you don't question because, again, like, everyone around you is doing the same thing, and, like, this is how coaches coach, and this is how they perceive that you're going to get the best out of yourself is by doing all these things. So I think that's, like, such, such part of the normalization is – like it just is so normal and ingrained in sport that like it's hard to separate it out, and then like the no one's sex, questioning it. Like the sexual aspect is like what Lauren said is I can see how there is a motivator for the yelling or the even the, yeah like the emotional abuse. Hitting, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but how is that not like the biggest darkest line to cross? So it is, and this is where it's not so different because it's abuse of power, um, and that's when people that's where a lot of the sexual abuse comes from is this abuse of power and so I don't think it's the same thing but the reason that athletes get trapped in all of it is because the coach is also tied to their avenues for success so like that coach is the one that's going to be taking you to the Olympics and so if you speak ill against that coach that does more for you like that impacts you negatively it doesn't impact the coach and like I think it's changing now with a bit more policies but especially like that's exactly what happens is like you, you get into this position of fear. The coach is like probably like has groomed you to believe that like, if you say anything, you're ruining your relationship with them. You're ruining your chance at sport. You're ruining all of these things. And so 
this is where it does, it's like this understanding of how much power an a coach has over an athlete is that they can trap you in these like situations that you don't have any other avenue to do it. And, and especially when you're a young woman, uh, like, and it's not exclusive to women, but when you're a young, when you're a young athlete and you're going through these things and the only thing that you want to do is go to the Olympics or go to NFL or do all these things, like that's your dream. That's your goal. And I think that's like why it's so unique within sport is like, there is a goal tied to it. And it's like a personal passion that's tied to it that as an athlete, all you want to do is go to the Olympics or do whatever, if those are your goals and you're going to do whatever it takes to get there. And if it's pleasing the coach, if it's in whatever way that that comes across, whether it's, you know, like conforming to their body standards, doing what, like you're going to do whatever they say because you trust them and you believe that they're going to, they're doing everything for their best interest, for your best interest. So So it must be a bit of a transitional, like, or sorry, a gradual thing then, because I mean, is this happening like right when you start into a sport when you're little, little, I mean, because I'm not really sure on what age you can start going to the Olympics at, but it's like, and also like, based on what you're saying, it's sort of kind of comes across like every person that's in a coaching position is a bit of a sicko or like a monster. And I know I'm generalizing and I know it's not true, but it's like, this seems rampant across all professional sports, like within, you know, every country, every type of sport, like this just seems like it's sort of status quo for coaches and, and the other type of staff that are involved in these you know, conditioning these athletes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, are they all just grooming children all the time? Yeah. And what do people, parents and little ones, and as you grow, like, what do you look out for against this as well? Like, sorry, that's a huge question, but like. Yeah. It's really important though. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's hard. And, and I think this is where the coach-athlete relationship is so unique and complex and why there isn't a cut and dry, because there is on one hand, like, I, I've had some amazing coaches in my lifetime. Like I've had the best coaches and I've had coaches that like, I like, were like a second mom to me. Like they, like my coach all through my high school, like she was one coach and like I talked to her about anything. And like, we just had an amazing relationship and she helped me grow as a person, as an athlete. Like she would, you know, call me out if I was like in my terrible teens and being like a bitch to my friends, like all of those things, she'd be like, you need to check your attitude and like go apologize to your friends. Like she cared about you as a person. And like, I believe that a lot of my success is tied to her because of how she coached me and because of like a lot of who I am is because of that. And so it's, it's just this fine line where like on one hand, like you have these amazing coaches who are so much more than just like a coach in your sport. And I think that there's a lot of benefit to that, but it does create like a blurry line of that can easily switch over to the other side. And so I think part of it is just like being aware, like educating yourself on like, what are the signs and symptoms of something like grooming where like, where are those boundaries? And then as a coach, like you need to understand that, like you do have so much power over the athletes, like just in the nature of your position. And like, there's ways to use that power in a positive way. And there's ways to use it in a negative way. And I think that there's just seems to be like, it's, it's good and bad. Like there's benefits and costs and you just need to be aware of like where that line is. And like, as a parent, just be super cautious as a, as a child, like talk to your children about these things and, and just like be like be mindful and like monitor the whole situation and create a culture where like those lines are like, there is no, like there is no gray area. It's like, there's right. And there's wrong. And this is like our club policy. I guess you also have to be like, as an athlete, I guess when you're a certain age where you have that 
understanding to, you know, an extent anyway, you know, is it a question that you'd have to ask yourself, like, how far am I willing to go? Like, where will I draw the line? Like, will I draw the line at verbal abuse or like, which could include like body shaming or like unrealistic expectations? Will I draw the line at sexual abuse? Like, I just feel like athletes, you know, are being put in these positions, especially now that it is starting to become more common knowledge. That's on one hand, that's great. But on the other hand, I don't think it's going to like necessarily stop all of the types of abuse. And just like anything, it's going to stay hidden. It's going to, there will be people that will keep it quiet, that will sweep it under the rug. So, you know, I think talking about it from an individual point of view, where if you are an athlete in that position where you're getting to those levels of pro, this is something that you kind of may have to ask yourself, like, am I willing to accept some abuse? So you asking that as a, a, a person who's aware, like a small child is not aware of, of being able to ask those questions. So it's like, have they already been victimized and trained that that's the way to be? And, and those things that they are experiencing is actually abuse. So it's like we have to get to the kids first and ensure that they're not like already being groomed or, you know, just like prepared for that type of further abuse. Right. Yeah. Well, or you can flip it on your head because right now you're kind of asking the athlete, like, at what line are they going to draw themselves between getting the thing that they're passionate about? And, like, I can speak from my own experience. Like, there was a lot of times where, like, I knew I wasn't in a good place. I knew it was affecting both my physical and mental health. But I wanted to go to the Olympics. Like, that's all I – like, I gave up everything for that. And so to put me in a position where it's, like, am I going to choose abuse or am I going to choose the Olympics? Like, I chose the Olympics. And, like, I don't – regret that decision I wish I wasn't put in that position but again like that should be where the question's being asked is like why why did I have to be put in that position to begin with like why wasn't my sport organization stepping in and creating an environment where as a young athlete you don't have to choose you don't have to draw those lines because they shouldn't be lines you have to draw absolutely no I I hope no one takes me the wrong way I'm not saying this is acceptable no yeah and it should be like it should not 100% should not be put on an individual to be in that position where they have to make that choice yeah um but that's yeah that kind of goes back to that question of like why is this happening and like how are committee committees and these governing bodies changing and like what are they doing and how are how what is the punishment for these coaches like I feel like there's a difference between you know verbal abuse and sexual abuse right where like if it's a minor there's a whole slew of laws that come that you would be breaking when it comes to sexual abuse there's no laws against verbal abuse no and I think it's like and that's you bring up like another amazing point of one is legally not allowed (laughs) like there are laws against sexual abuse there aren't laws against it but when, when you look at the research, and a lot of the research I've done is on, like, the correlations between that of maltreatment and mental health, and, like, it didn't matter what type of abuse athletes experienced, all of them had the same negative outcomes of, like, self-harm and eating disorders and mental health, like, mental health challenges. And so, like, it's interesting that we, we obviously, like, I'm not saying, like, obviously sexual abuse is horrendous, but all of these, all of these types of abuse that athletes are experiencing have the same outcome. So why are we saying that one is worse than the other when, when oh, they are yeah. the same outcomes? Um, but I think, yeah, I think, I think that right now, like it's what I deal with a lot is just sport organizations not taking accountability. There's a lot of, because it's a big issue right now, a lot of sport organizations are 
do have their backs up against the wall a little bit and like they're trying to protect themselves and I think that's that's where a lot of it comes from is them protecting themselves they're protecting their ability to get financial um like sport Canada funding it's huge like there's there's people at the top that don't believe that emotional abuse is, is something to be considered and that athletes are just lying and making frivolous claims and like these are things that I've, I've heard from top sport organizations that that abuse isn't a problem it's just that athletes are complaining too much and so like it's it's oh my god it's just like it's it's what frustrates me every day every time I'm in a meeting like this is like this is literally literally the conversations that I'm in every day the shit that you deal with which is obviously disgusting and it's scary it's crazy what you said that um all the types of abuse still have the same outcome because obviously in our heads i well and and you're in the sport world so maybe you think of it differently but uh and this is what you study but in my head i think sexual abuse is like the whole worst one ever obviously and that's what i meant about like that's a line cross there's just no way around it whereas the you know anyways the the emotional and even sometimes like I guess the physical it seems like there there's more of a place for it and I'm saying this in air quotes because obviously there's no place for abuse but it's just more accepted right mm-hmm. like yeah I guess because because there is no chance at really breaking a law whereas yeah. like sexual abuse of a minor like, for instance or really anybody you can go to jail you can be charged yeah. a cr- criminally charged where as you know, what someone could say, oh, well, I'm just yelling at them. Like, even though the impacts are the same or the outcomes are the same because of that type of abuse, like that that person's not going to have a criminal charge possibly put against them for that behavior. So I think that's why we hold those types of abuse at different standards. And I think that's also probably why it's easy for those at the high level to say, well, they're just complainers or they're just whiners or like, you know, they're being melodramatic. Like it's easy to do that because you don't, you just like, there's, they're not breaking a law. They're not really doing anything. So what you got yelled at a little bit. So what, but like, they're not, yeah, toughen up, right? It's win at all cost mentality. Um, so they're not considering the fact that these people, these athletes, are having eating disorders, are having PTSD, yeah. like any sort of like you know, future responses to the, this abuse. They're not even like taking that into consideration clearly, or else they probably wouldn't speak to their athletes this way. And I think that there's something to be said about the fact that. They have so much access. Like, coaches are just so alone a lot of the time with their athlete and a lot of the times their children. And, and, like, that's crazy, too. We just, like, why? Because they've, like, won an Olympic medal. We can just, like, leave our kids with them or something. Like, is that weird? (laughs) Yeah, why is there so much trust? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that just need to be questioned. And I think this is where some people are, like, there's a lot of, advocacy for the rule of two which means that like coaches and athletes can't be alone and I think that there's a lot of value with that sometimes it's hard though because um like sometimes you do just need to like a one-on-one conversation with like your coach who also kind of like acts as your like psychiatrist and like psychologist and like parent and like all these things and I think sometimes like athletes need that but I think there do need to be like boundaries and it does need to be monitored and like it's just such a unique relationship 
Um, and so it's like, it's yeah, hard to take that away, but like, if, yeah. is that coach who's being allowed to be in that position with one-on-one with like a student or a child had a background check? Like, I feel yeah. like any old dad could just like volunteer on their kid's team. So it's like, are we checking these people to make sure that when they are alone, which I don't think that they like should never be alone. Like you said, you have that beautiful relationship yeah. with your coach. Like you wouldn't want to lose that or ha- not have had that. So, but did she have a background the check? blind trust. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. so weird. And then, yeah. We do just put that blind trust into coaches and and people in these kinds of positions, even teachers, right? But they so. get background checks, right? I'm sure teachers do. Am I? Yeah. Do we, they not? Are we just like <laughs> literally trusting our kids as any old person? <laughs> no, and I know a lot of coaches do get a background check, but the thing is it's like there's also the threshold of like if they don't have a criminal charge against them, it's not going to show up on a background check. And like this yeah. is one of the big problems is like you can – unfortunately abuse someone in um like eastern europe and then come to canada and like no one knows like there's just like this lack of consistency and that happens all the time like people get fired for abuse and then they end up in a different country and then they're doing the same thing and it's that's what's yeah that's like priests like they just go on to a new parish and continue on wow i didn't even think about that actually i didn't even realize that that is I, i didn't know that quite frankly, that you can coach in a different country. Maybe you have, you know, like not such positive response from that, like that um, position in that country, but you can just kind of leave it behind and but still start have your good anew. resume. Your resume is still stacked from all that good experience. So you're just like more valuable elsewhere. But is it, is it, oh, is it known though within that like community, like the sports community, like you would know that that coach maybe has had some like shady past or whatever. Or is it not known? It depends. Like, sometimes, how, like, unless you're asking the right questions and, like, your hiring committee is on it, and, and I think that they should, but it happens all the time. Like, it, it happens. It's happening in the sport I was in at the moment, so. Oh, my God. Can you tell us a little bit about what you experienced? Sure. Um, so, it was... There's a lot of great things about my sport, um, but it was a pretty rough experience for me, um, both physically and mentally. My coach specifically at the, on the national team was quite um, harsh at the time. Now I, I do know it was abuse, but at the time I just thought she was harsh. But it was everything from like a constant every single day, putting me down, yelling, screaming. Um, I was constantly, my, my weight was constantly monitored. Um, I was like, we were weighed once a week and if we didn't hit that weight, like we could, we were, there was a time I was removed from the team because I wasn't at the weight that I was required to be. And I think it was 132 pounds once my weight and I was 134 pounds. And that was the difference between me being on the national team and not. And then, oh my God. Wow. Yeah. And then to get my spot back, I basically had to compete against another athlete on my team. And whoever of the two of us lost more weight that summer was the one who got a spot at Worlds. Oh, my God. That's like sickening. Like it's it's almost like a weird like it's like a squid game type thing. You know what I mean? Like they're just giving you these horrific like requests that sometimes you can't even control like so obviously that's going to lead to eating disorders because mm-hmm. you're like well i need to be skinny issues, i'm going to never eat again because i need to be as light as possible like i mean god yeah i'm so like, sorry there's parts of my like my boobs were always picked apart like i was told my boobs were too big for synchro like i would never be successful because of how big my boobs were like 
there it was just like constant like I literally like every day like just felt worse and worse and worse about myself and like it's so crazy that I was competing at like the highest level and representing Canada at the highest level and I like honestly can say I never felt worse about myself oh my god and how old were you um at this time 22 23 it's you know what I just had the thought of like our Canadian beautiful like athletes up there in the Olympics like we're like cheering them on at home everyone loves them and they're like in the worst places of their lives like that is that is scary that's crazy that's devastating yeah I was thinking about that earlier too like just we put so much emphasis on our Olympians around the world. Right. And um, you're just so highly regarded because of the dedication, the skill, everything that goes into becoming an Olympian, like the word alone bears so much weight. And you, we watch, we watch you guys on TV and you're smiling and you're hugging each other and everybody hugs their coaches after. And it's just like, especially when they win, um, it's just this like joyous moment to witness. And, you know, the pride that you feel, especially if it's your country, like the Canadian team winning anything. And now, you know, all this is coming out that you, you know, that these men and women, girls and boys are like kind of just miserable and dying inside. And it's like, wow, you put on a great show. And like, like, is it really worth it though, to have you guys up there representing our country and, and what it takes to get there is experiencing horrible abuse and hating yourself. Yeah. And I mean, and the thing is, is I wouldn't say it's like, a sh- like, and I know it's not what you're getting at. Like, those emotions are real. Like, those highs that you see, like, it's not like anyone's pretending. Like, it is such an honor. Like, it, it was like the biggest course, dream come true yeah. to like be there. And like, so yeah. that's not fake. But like, again, like, Naomi Osaka is like a massive example of someone who's at the top of her game, but just like isn't being getting the support she needs and like isn't in a good space. And like, she's probably one of the only people that talk about it. And like, when I came back from the Olympics, like, everyone would be like, oh my God, it wasn't exciting. Like, wasn't amazing. Like, tell me all about it. Tell me about the Olympic village. Like, how was it? Like, how was the, like, tell me everything. And just like, so excited. And I had to like, up until probably a year ago, most people don't, didn't know what I experienced. And like, cause I wouldn't talk about it. Cause like everyone would ask me and I would just be like, it was amazing. Like it was great. It was a dream come true. Like, and say all those things. Cause that's what people are expecting to hear. Like no one's like yeah, asking yeah. you about the Olympics and expecting you to be like, oh, it was actually terrible. I cried every day. Like no, like that's not that's just like awkward. <laughs> and so like what it, it was said, <laughs> What's your actual answer to that when somebody was like, How is the village? How was the Olympics? Like, what is your real answer to that? Um, my real answer. That's like I don't I've never even answered it honestly, to be honest. <laughs> um You don't have to so, if you don't want to. No, I'm I mean it was difficult. So I ended up being the alternate for the team, so I wasn't allowed to actually compete. Um and my coach um, didn't let me in the village, so I didn't actually get to stay in the village. Um, I wasn't allowed at the closing ceremonies, which was like, for for someone our age, like not being able to see like the Spice Girls at the closing ceremonies, like literally like was the saddest, Ugh. like so sad, like, I don't know. And just like, but like my physiotherapist got to go, like the president got to go, all these people, but like I wasn't allowed to go. Um, and then like, I had to watch it in, um, the Canada house where they like bring athletes and their family and stuff. And I had to watch the closing ceremonies there. And the CEO who was just like, so dense at the time, like was like, Aaron, isn't it so exciting that you got to be here? And like, literally it was the moment that my heart broke. Cause I was like, are you like, 
are you fucked? Like, there's so many things that are wrong with the situation. Like, I, I'm only here because I wasn't skinny enough to be on your team, and I wasn't, like, there's a lot of political reasons why I wasn't there, but it had nothing to do with my skill or my talent, and most of my team would agree with that. Um, and the oh reason I was alternate was not because of my skill. Um, and then to have the CEO be like, aren't you happy to be like, well, they just expect you to be like grateful no matter what. And it's like, you wouldn't be here without me yeah. actually. Like n- no one would be here without the skill and dedication of you women, like you girls on that team. If you weren't as good as you were, you wouldn't have made it to that level. So actually you're welcome. <laughs> and you know like... what I want to know is what that two pounds between 134 and 132 changed in your abilities. Like, what yeah probably more hydrated (laughs) would have probably been better with those two pounds honestly right and and that's crazy that that can oh my god I'm sorry that that happened for you like but I think that's more that's that's gotta just be that like kind of power hungry like for the coach it's not really because she actually cared and felt that this was going to make a difference in your ability this was someone exercise abusing people and abusing power they just she knew she could like wield this over you and maybe she had like a personal vendetta against you for something or like just obviously in these situations it's a bully mentality too right so they target somebody and for some reason you it sounds like we're that target and they just needed somebody to be like a power trip on and, and torture kind of like, I just don't think that they're, they coincide with like, no, I, Aaron, you know, we're really putting these parameters in place because this will make you a better athlete. This will make you better at your skill. They know damn well, that's not true. Yeah. Or do you think they believe what they're doing is like really truly for the betterment of you and the sport? Like we're all the other girls, 132 exactly. Or so yes and no, like we were, we were all expected to be under 130 pounds. That was like the team standard and we're all about five, eight. That was like our team standard. You had to be under 130 pounds. Oh my God. That was just, that was how it was. Like that was a standard blanket. That's our skill. But then like my coach didn't like me <laughs> like, and that's like, and so it, this is what's difficult is like a lot of things in synchro in the past year have been, that have come out and like a lot of them are negative and I've been one of the people who has been spoke like outspoken about my experiences and a lot of my teammates haven't been and the thing is is like I I honestly believe that they didn't have that same experience that I did because they didn't have that same relationship I think some of them had a really positive relationship with that same coach and my coach played favorites and she played her not favorites and I think there was just a huge gap and I think this is one of the things that's like really unfortunate for me is like I understand their perspective of like okay they didn't experience that I just wish that they were like more supportive of my experience to be like, you know what? Like I didn't experience what you went through, but that doesn't mean your experience didn't happen, which is like more of what their reaction seems to be. So that part's like a little bit unfortunate for me, but I think, um, another thing, and I, this is something I don't talk about too much, but when I joined the national team, my my coach was French. Um, and when I started there was, it was 50% French and English. And by the time the Olympics came around, I was the only one out of 12 that didn't speak wasn't born in Quebec. Wow. So it's like a clear prejudice against you. Oh my God. 
And so, I mean, that's a side effect too of this kind of abuse, because like you said, not everybody is going to have the same experience. And that needs to be something that's recognized as well as there needs to be support for the victims um, by those that were not victims. And like, if you're a team, you're a team all the way through, like that is how it's supposed to be. And like, if one teammate is suffering, you're only as strong as your weakest member, right? Or your weakest teammate, like that's kind of goes across the board. So, you know, like you can sort of see how that bully mentality can then be transferred into the teammates too, where then were you a target of some of your peers as well? Um, I wasn't like, I don't like no one was outwardly mean to me. And I think like, but at the same time, it, it was just hard to like, I don't think anyone was in a great place. Like I think everyone was kind of just looking out for themselves. And, and unfortunately like me not having a place on team meant someone who wasn't, wouldn't have made it otherwise got a place on team. So they're not obviously not going to stick up for me when like, it's either me or them. Like they're just going to keep their mouths shut, yeah. <laughs> which is like, of course. <laughs> so I don't know. Like I was never like my teammates were great. Like I, I am not very close with them anymore. And like, there's, I was kind of like, I got to a point where I was just like, so not myself. And like, just, you know, I would come in and put in my eight hours a day and then like go home. And like, I was kind of like, by the end I was just like shut down. Like I wasn't a person anymore. Like I was just, I felt like I was just like a robot going through the motions and like, so oh I wasn't making God. an effort to like be with my, hang out with my teammates. So like, it's the last place you wanted to be was there longer, right? Did your parents yeah. and friends and like everyone notice that you're like clearly not happy? Yeah, for sure. Like it was pretty known. And I think like, I am so lucky to have, like I had amazing friends. Like my parents were absolutely amazing. Like they would fight for me and do whatever I needed to do. And like they were there for me when I needed, you know, like I would drive back from Montreal for, we would train in Montreal. I would drive back from Montreal to Toronto for like just a night just to get out of there and like drive five hours home and like turn around 24 hours later and go back just so I could like have 24 hours to breathe. And like my parents were always there for me. Like they, they were amazing. And, um, I think everyone was concerned, but like at, at a certain point it was like, it became, it did like similar to what we're talking about. It became my decision of like, my parents were like, whatever you want to do like we're not gonna be sad if you want to walk away right now like it's three months olympics like you want to walk away like we 100 percent support you if you want to keep going we'll support you with that too like they were just awesome like that so oh and that obviously helps i'm sure like get through you know get through these horrible things that you experience which again like we're so sorry to hear about that and uh and i hope that anyone listening to this would like I don't know if anyone hearing this story could, you know, prevent themselves or prevent someone they know from going through this. I hope that that could happen because that's just like such a terrible, like soul crushing story, to be honest. Yeah. For such a like an exciting, happy, you know, what you would think to be national moment. Yeah. National moment of pride and, uh, you know, just championship, like to be like holding all that, like, just negativity in you and And like again I know you said that the the emotion that you see on the podium the stage the world stage whatever is real and 100% that shines through but it's you're still harboring like the other side of it um which is really unfortunate for any of these athletes that are going through it so like now you're in this position where you're studying Mm -hmm. this like you're studying abuse in professional sports um so what what can be done like what should athletes do what should families do parents of athletes coaches like especially those that maybe are in the know can they speak out like what can be done about this how do we change this issue 
Yeah, for sure. And I think like kind of what you were saying is like all these people that are in their proudest moments are also in these moments of pain. Like how can we make it a system where they're just having the proud moments? Like why aren't we fostering an environment where like all they are is proud? Like they're going to be so much more successful. Like in my mind, it's like if you're happy and healthy, you're going to be so much more successful. And so I think part of it is like sport needs to understand their values and like understand how to um, create athletes that are happy and healthy and like also successful. And it like there seems to be this divide that you can't be happy, healthy and successful. And I just like fundamentally don't agree that those are on two different ends of the spectrum. And like, if you were happy and healthy, you're going to be motivated. Like anyone in their job, if their boss was yelling at them, they wouldn't be motivated to do their job. So why are we putting these different standards on, on athletes to do that? So I think as coaches, like, I think there just needs to be a fundamental questioning of like, what are your coaching tactics? And like, um, longevity is another thing too, where like a lot of athletes, like they go to one Olympics and then they're out because it was like not a fun experience. And so what if you made it happy and healthy and then you could go to two, three, four Olympics and like Simone Biles gets just gets better every year because she like, I mean, she has had a lot of issues, but like she is, she has openly said she has a supportive coach and is in a supportive environment. And like, there's so many athletes that do have that, that do like are two, three, four time Olympic champions because they're in a positive environment. So that's kind of my rant on like how we can change sport. Um, I think like part of it is just awareness, education, um, being vocal about policies needing to be in place. Like I think as a parent, ask the questions, like ask what the policies there are, ask the coaching philosophies, like athletes and coaches and it's like, it takes a village again. And like everyone needs to be kind of on that same board and, and understanding the science behind what, what makes a top performer. And I honestly believe it's, it's positive coaching. So. And do you think that parents should be in like, like I picture it to be, especially as the athletes get older and older, obviously you're not going to bring your mom with you to practice or things like that. But like, should parents, especially of like younger athletes, um, be there more often or like, and not have that blind trust and like kind of just be a little more present within all that so they can like see the, the philosophies of the coaching staff firsthand and things like that. I think in an ideal world, yes. Um, it's interesting because I think there's, this is like kind of one of those research practice things that don't always line up is like, I've been a coach and it's so annoying when parents, like, I will say it's so annoying when parents are there and they're like, right. every parent thinks their kid needs like all the attention and they're like, I on a pool deck right. and they're like parents in the stands, just like, absolutely. Like it's not fun to be a coach and like have like, and there, then there's that <laughs> like the parent I, looking over your shoulder constantly. Yeah. Like, why is my kids sitting on the side? Because they were feeling sick and I didn't want to deal with them. Like, they're being annoying. <laughs> yeah, I guess um, there comes the point where you, as the coach, still should have some autonomy and run your team the way you yeah. should. That's why you're there too, right? So, oh, yeah. that's, that's a So I understand one. that, but I think that there is, like, there needs to be a balance. Like, I think that there needs to be, like, as a coach, I also have nothing to hide. So, like, if you want to sit and watch me and, like, not interfere – do whatever you want to do. Like, I, I don't think I have anything to hide. I hope I don't have anything to hide, <laughs> but right. like, so I don't care if like people are monitoring. Do I care when they're yelling at me in the middle of practice? Yeah. Like, but I think that parents can be there. Um, I think there should be at least like visibility to what's happening. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So what are like some misconceptions though, that you think society has just around like abuse and sport? I think the biggest one is like that you need to break down athletes to be successful. Um, I think that's a massive one, um, that it's a normal part of sport. Um, 
that it's worth everything. Like it's worth the broken bones. It's worth the mental abuse that it's worth like that the Olympics is worth everything. Um, like I, like I will, I advocate for the Olympics. I love the Olympics. Like I like love everything about it, but I don't think it's worth everything. And I think that there needs to be this understanding that it's not the be all end all. And like, I went to the Olympics when I was 22. I'm, I've had my whole life since then. Like there's, it doesn't like your life doesn't end when you go to the Olympics. So like, why are you pretending that it does? And like, I feel like that happens so much. What other myths are there? Just, yeah, honestly, that these things are okay every day and that they're not. (laughs) Well, it's crazy because it's, um, you always hear about the sports guy, the athletes, um, that like break a leg or break something and then they like keep playing and then they're like praised for this when, that's crazy, isn't it? Like you've broken something, you're just gonna like keep playing because the game must go on. Like, I think we should start like calling that out. I mean, like, why the fuck are you not focusing on your body that's broken, literally, instead of worrying about the game? Well, yeah, that mentality is crazy because when you say the Olympics aren't the end all be all, yes, they are. If you've broken something and you don't heal and recover properly, you are not playing that sport again. Like so many athletes have experienced, like that was their final moment and not just like maybe their final Olympics, but maybe their final um, time to play that sport that they've given so much of their life to and love so deeply. And that's taken away because you were told play Mm. through that, like broken ankle or whatever, you know, the injury is that could have been detrimental. And to me, that seems like such a contradictory approach as a coach, because yeah, you want to win that game or that medal or whatever, but if this is such a prime, like important player athlete to your team, and now you know they may never come back, your odds and chances of being successful again just got dropped because you don't have this like superstar anymore. And I mean, I think all athletes at that level are superstars, right? Like I can't even fathom the amount of dedication and the mental like strength that it takes to commit your life. Like I can barely commit to a friggin' morning <laughs> routine, never mind daily I cannot even of commit my to life to I can't even thing. commit to a morning walk <laughs> so, like at a leisurely pace I yeah. wish I could <laughs> so it's like there is a difference between these professional athletes and us normal regular people not normal yeah regular people just because like you have this there's something in you that drives yeah. Yeah. you like yeah so hard that I don't have clearly that's like like definitely one of the the traits that an athlete has like having that dedication because it's not just like a a nine to five you're literally giving your entire life to this and for years you eat well so did you guys watch the untold series on Netflix um if well Aaron you should definitely watch it because it covers like five different sport I think five or six different sports stories um Caitlyn Jenner was one of them but covered all the footage of when Bruce Jenner was um in the Olympics for his decathlon and he was like all he did for for years and years and years was train all day and night to get to that um well, that place, and obviously a decathlon is, like, is that yeah. the craziest sport? Because it's, like, 10 sports. Yeah, so that's, like, mental. But you're putting, like, everything into this. And anyways, there's another story about a tennis player, and he left because it went at his prime because of his anxiety. So actually, this this just turned into a Netflix wreck, <laughs> so you should definitely check this out. And the story is about sport and how it's more than just, like, you know, performing. Like, there's so much that goes into it. And hearing all these stories, people are just people at the end of the day, right? 
experiencing their life along with and i think that's the thing is like i feel like the human aspect of sport often gets forgotten about because it's like these people that are achieving these amazing things and like pushing their bodies and like I, I was an Olympian and I'm still impressed with every other sport of like, how did they do that? Like, how does a gymnast do that? How does a skier like go down the hill? Like I, like, I probably am like more of a fan of everyone. And then people are like, Aaron, like you, you competed too. And I'm like, no, but like these sports are amazing. Um, I know. Like how long can you hold your breath underwater? Um, <laughs> probably I think a really long time. When I was training, probably like a minute and a half to two minutes, probably like our longest part of the routine was I think oh 50 God. seconds all underwater, but that's like, we were actively doing things oh uh, yeah so you're like out of breath this, too that to me yeah. is mind-boggling I <laughs> think I'm like so good if I like swim underwater for like 20 feet I'm like I'm a freaking frog like I'm a fish I mean, no no sorry I'm a mermaid <laughs> I don't know I went to a frog <laughs> well my kids and I see how many times we can swim um the length of our 24 foot pool, how many times we can do it. And I can do it three times. So I'm like, well, I'm obviously get on down. Actually, next time I come over, I'd like to see a little routine that you've put on. <laughs> can you send that to me too? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do actually also practice synchro in my pool. So I'm really impressive. Um, you guys will be <laughs> me and my two boys. Yeah. Uh, no, but like, honestly, in all seriousness, like there is a human element and it is absolutely incredible to watch athletes at their, like, you know, their do their skill, do their sport. And, um, you are cut from a different cloth. Um, any of like any professional athlete, because it is just so much dedication that, you know, the average person doesn't have, we just don't have it in us. So you know, it is important to like recognize the things that, you know, these professional athletes go through and support them in all of those areas and all of those avenues, because like they're they're already under such intense mental and physical um, stress. I mean, even though if you love the sport, you still must be under like insane stress. Yeah. Um, So I, you know, I just think like it's got to change because eventually people are not going to do it. And then we won't have Olympians and we won't have these incredible like athletes that awe us with their gift and their abilities. And, um, you know, quite frankly, I wouldn't blame them. Like I wouldn't right now, knowing what I know, speaking to you, Aaron, I wouldn't knowingly send my child into a sport thinking like, okay, at some point you may be abused in some way. I'd be like, no, it's never going to be yeah, worth why it. Why risk me. it? Un- yeah, an Olympic gold medal is not worth the rest of your life, the rest of your mental health, your physical health. Like as a parent, that's how I would deem that. But, you know, how do you say no to somebody who has this love for a sport? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's like it really is like such a challenging avenue and obviously a hard place to navigate. And I just like I love talking to you because like I, I also was doing some research and like I know that you're involved in a class action lawsuit and like one of the parts um, in one of the articles that was specific to your um, the lawsuit that you're involved in one of the athletes said like they were only allowed to eat like watermelon on Saturday and Sunday like I would be dead on the floor of starvation yeah um so actually that was part of a research study that I did and not my lawsuit but oh sorry yeah no that's okay it's just there's a lot going on (laughs) but yeah that was um one of the interviews that I did with um so I did a study looking at emotional abuse and body shaming um and in this study one of the athletes that I was speaking to was also on a national team 
Um, that was like their, their diet that was prescribed from the coaches. Like any day that they weren't training, they were only allowed to eat watermelon and like just this tragic things. And that was not in synchro. That was in a different sport, but yeah, this thing, this happens when I was talking to her, I was, I was like, okay, this literally could have been me. Cause that's, that's the kind of things that, that we were expected to do too. So, but like, I, Anyways, to me, obviously it's crazy, but it's like, there's not even all the nutrients you need in watermelon. It's not even logical to me. But anyways, that's beyond yeah. the point. And I, I guess it's just mo- supposed to make you feel like you've eaten something, even though it's, water. it's just sugary water. Yeah. And, Which is also yeah. crazy because like, how am I supposed to go and like turn around and train for eight hours the next day when all I've eaten is watermelon? Like that's Starving. not, that's not best for your performance. Like that's not. It feels like you'd be on like the most like protein rich you know, full of food diet as an athlete. But anyways, I'm obviously that was abusive and hopefully not like the norm um, for athletes and people um, clearly. But uh, I mean, unfortunately, it's way more normal than than people realize. And I think like especially the body shaming aspect and the the forced dieting and things like that. And it's um, it's so unfortunate. And I, I now that I'm in a position where I can educate people are like, well, well, they've gained weight. Like, what am I supposed to do? I'm like, you're supposed to leave that to a nutritionist who can help them. Like that's as a coach, unless you're qualified in that role, do not comment on their body or on what they are eating. Like encourage them yeah. to fuel their body. And like, I'm not saying like go eat cake every day. Like that's not healthy for anyone, but like feel your body in a way that's like in, in conducive to your performance and like in your sport and your life and like be healthy. But like, that's, that's not your place. Like it's not your place to make yeah. comments on like what what the people should be putting in your body if you're not trained to do that yeah so. yeah it's kind of like a stay in your own lane situation yeah. like you're the coach you know how to coach best for to get the performance out of these athletes but you don't know how to you know get them physically there from that kind of nutritional standpoint um like same with like they probably don't train them like it you know, outside of the pool in your situation, like the coach knows how to coach you within the pool and like the kind of routines you need to be doing. But when you're working on strength building or conditioning, I would assume you have like a trainer for that. Someone well, it's just a different profession so, and, and it's simple exactly. as that. Like just do your job and don't try and do Stay other in people's your jobs, especially when it affects like, like your food, like that's your, your life, like your body, like your fuel. yeah, your fuel. Yeah. D- don't be say- well. And then, and then it just obviously ties back into the abuse and clearly they're, they're not staying there in, yeah. in their lane when they're doing that. So, uh, they just don't know about their lanes at all. Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> but especially when <laughs> it's like a free for all pool. Yeah. There's no lanes. There's nothing. Like you, <laughs> but- everyone else has to stay in their lanes, but coaches are just like fucking dodging all of them. So. And obviously the bad ones, we're not blanketing all of them. Because like you said, there's a lot of good coaches. Um, I I know that we're going to wrap up in just a minute, but um, can you tell us about your lawsuit? Because, you know, hearing that you're in a lawsuit, it makes me think that you're like fighting for justice for yourself. So can we end off on like hopefully a happier topic? Yeah, for sure. And I think, look, Lauren was kind of getting to this too of like, the reason that I talk about abuse and I, I become more open about my own story, like it's not so that I can th- I can tell people that the sport is a terrible world and that we should like all be of fearful course. and not put your, like yeah. the reason that I'm in it is because I did love it. Like I loved sport so much and I was willing to do whatever I could to like get to where I wanted to be. And like I, my best friends are in, like from that sport, like there's so many good things about sport and that's like one of the biggest reasons that I'm 
doing like the research that I'm doing is like to try to make it better course, for other yeah. people because I do believe that there's so much that's positive in sport and and I feel like I always need to preface that because I do study a very terrible topic and like a very yeah. harsh topic but it's like it's because I am so passionate about sport that I, I believe that these things should be talked about um and we can but, see that just so you know <laughs> yeah that's good that comes um through. but yeah so, so it um the journey of my lawsuit actually started about a year ago. Um, our national team actually got, the current national team got shut down um, because of um, reports of abuse and harassment um, that were happening to the current national team. And that's when I started using my voice. And until that time, I never actually told my story, despite a lot of people kind of assuming something happened because I'm in the field. Um, but that was the first time I spoke out publicly about the body shaming and the emotional abuse and, and all the other stuff that happened. And I, I was very active on social media sharing my story um, and mostly in support of, of these current girls who maybe couldn't speak out on their own because they were training for the Olympics. And um, obviously some of them did, which is why, why the national team got shut down for a little bit and under investigation. But I just wanted to add my voice because I was just so frustrated that nine years later, it was still happening. And like nine years later, the same things that I experienced were, were the same stories. And I, it was just so frustrating for me that I couldn't be quiet anymore. And so that's when I, um, spoke out about it. And then, um, there was some other athletes and, and the lawyers, um, got involved and, and then we ended up putting a class action together. Um, and I'm one of the represent one of the five representatives on the class action right now. And, um, it's athletes from the past 10 years in sport um, that were on the national team in Canada. Um, so anyone who's on a national team can um, can join. Um, but we just talk about our, it's against the sport organization. So it's not necessarily about a specific coach that was um, abusive to us, but just how the, the sport organization was um, accountable for everything. Like they knew what was happening. Like I sent them letters. My mom had sent them letters and I was just, all the behaviors were dismissed. They were like, no, like, it's fine. Like the coach is fine. Like we're not changing the coach until the Olympics. And my mom's like, my daughter's not eating. My daughter's so skinny. My, my daughter's miserable. She's being like, all of these things are happening. Like she's being kicked out of practice because she's like this, that, and other thing. Like this is not okay. And they would just like sweep it under the rug. And so, and that was basically the consistent story. Like there was, there's been four coaches since then and all of them are just as abusive as last, if not more. And like the same CEO was responsible for hiring four of the five of them. Like, so clearly and he's so it's looking just, it's for a systemic, certain, certain kind of coach. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's a systemic problem that, that exists and that's more of what we decided to speak out about. That's why, why it spans 10 years. And I think we're at about 50 athletes who have joined the class, um, oh, which wow. is quite a large number. Amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And clearly like, I don't know, I'm sure it doesn't make you feel better, but at least, you know, like you weren't crazy during that time. Like other people were, were obviously also experiencing these hardships and not that you obviously would want anyone else to experience it, but I'm sure it validates a little bit of like what you went through. Like you weren't making any of this up, you know, it's real. And, and unfortunately these people, if it's affecting all these people, um, the people that did this to you should be held accountable for it. So, oh gosh, I, I'm wishing you like, good vibes for this for sure thank you so much and like thank you for for giving me a place to speak about this it's like it's awesome that you guys are willing to have this conversation it's not it's not easy but I think it's really important no thank you well, thank you <laughs> thank you yeah, for sharing thank you 
I'm sure it's not easy for you. And I'm glad that you're advocating for yourself and for um, other professional athletes and, or just, you know, people in general that are playing in, and involved in any kind of sport. Um, your voice needs to be heard. And so does everybody else's that, you know, have both positive and negative experiences because it's still, sports are great. No yeah. question. Like, yeah. you know, competi healthy competition is amazing. Like, um, you know, it is, it definitely brings people together. So there is so much positivity that comes along with it. Unfortunately, you know, like anything, there's always like, you know, some bad apples in the bunch. Um, but like, we love that you are taking your experience and making it um, yeah. more like positive um, for others. And, and hopefully, you know, making major changes in, in the world of sports. So keep up the good we work. Commend you. <laughs> yes. Thank you um, so much. If, if, Anybody wanting to like get more information or chat with you, can you let our listeners know where they can find you? Yeah, for sure. I think Instagram's probably the best. Um, my my name is Wilson with two L's and then Aaron, um, all one word. Um, yeah, that's kind of the best place to find me. <laughs> awesome. Amazing. Well, thank you. And all, as always, our listeners can find us at Herspective underscore podcast and, um, you know, follow Aaron. Join her fight. We will. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Erin. This is so fun. <laughs> you guys are Thank awesome. Thank you. Well, hopefully you can yeah. come back anytime. Yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.